In the heart of Waterloo, London, the Colombo Fitness Centre and Gym offers great outdoor pitches and courts for tennis, basketball, netball and football. With monthly memberships starting from £25.95 for inclusive gym and class facilities or a great value £17.95 for local residents who join, the Colombo Fitness Centre has something for everyone. Find out more at columbocentre.co.uk or telephone 0207 261 1658 to join the Colombo Fitness Centre and Gym in Waterloo. Well, yo ho ho, everybody, and welcome to the Two Guys on Fitness post Christmas episode. I can't believe it. We've made it to the end of the year. We've made it through Christmas, and I'm here with my good personal trainer, podcast partner, Julian Bertherat. Hello, Julian. Happy Christmas. How are you doing? Happy Christmas to you, Alan. I'm doing well. I still have the taste of the oysters in my mouth, so uh, I love Christmas, the food, and everything around it. Well, that's good. And what are you doing for New Year, which is literally just around the corner? Well, for New Year, I will be spending the 31st by the coast of France, by the Normandy coast in Etretat. And uh, it's a lovely little town by the coast. Yeah, it's a lovely village. And um, I'm looking forward to be spending the last day of the year facing the sea and facing England. What about you, Alan? Uh, well, not long after we record this, I'm disappearing. I'm off to Italy yet again. And I'm going to be seeing in the new year in wonderful northern Italy. But enough of our little post-Christmas plans. We hope you've had a lovely Christmas as well, everybody, because you are joining us today on our annual review episode. That's right. For the first time, we're going to be looking back on what we did during the year. And also, we're going to be listening in a little to some of our favorite interviews from the past 12 months and talking about why we have chosen them as our favorites. So Julian and I have been through the process of listening to those interviews, haven't we, Julian? Yes, and it was uh, actually uh, a good process because he, you look back at all these interviews and it was, yeah, it was hard to shoot. I did pick up two myself. Uh, one was his, uh, with Olivia, Olivia Trump, and her journey to a first competition and also the after competition. And the second one was Matt Dale and uh, one of the sideline topic with Matt uh, we discussed was becoming a PT you know the journey of becoming a PT was quite interesting and of course uh, it bring me back 15 years uh, ago what about you Alan well uh, I also uh, had a listen through to the interviews from the year and what I've chosen to focus on are a couple of interviews one of which was in August with Hannah Elsie Hannah's a theatre producer and that interview was interesting for a couple of reasons for me one of which being that she talked about powerlifting and weight training from a female perspective uh, which we'll get into shortly and the other interview I particularly liked was uh, more of a recent one really which was the interview you did with Ovi Demars in October about the discipline of bodybuilding so what we're going to do is we're going to dip into those interviews have a little chat about them and also I should also say I don't think I've said it so far uh, Two Guys on Fitness is a podcast about training about exercise about diet and living a healthy lifestyle we tend to record it here in London England uh, and if you are joining us uh, for the first time you're joining us at the Colombo Sports Centre and Gym in Waterloo where we record the podcast 
which is a wonderful place. You might have heard the sponsor message earlier about that. Uh, and we wish you all a happy new year. Though something tells me we're going to be saying that again when we get to the end of the episode. But before we get to the end, Julian, should we dip into the first of the interviews? And I think we're going to start with one of mine, which was with Hannah Elsie. So I'm a competitive powerlifter um, and... I have been powerlifting for three years. Before that, I did bodybuilding. I started going to the gym when I was about 16. Before that, I hated sport. I really was that person who would do anything to get out of games at school. I would do theatrics and dramatics to pretend I was sick because I hated it so much. And I think what I really hated was not the exercise, it was the fact that I was uh, very uncoordinated and not very good with ball sports. And of course, um, all the sports that we were forced to play were um, ball sports, hockey, netball, for example. Uh, but then they built a gym at the school, a you know, a, a, weight, a, a gym with weights. So they took the girls into the gym and this was like our one session in the gym as girls as opposed to I think the boys got to use the gym all the time and they sh- and they showed us how to do some of the uh, they, I think they showed us how to do the the row um, the kind of stacked row the 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 upper back pull and I remember just feeling really um, like I had a great affinity with it because this is something that I could do that didn't involve me having to be coordinated it didn't involve me having to playing a team <laughs> it didn't involve me having to listen to other people and or play by the rules of a, any game that w- I was being forced to play so I felt I felt really good about that and then I also at the same about at the same time started going to the gym the gym that was more local to where I lived in the small village where I grew up I wasn't in bad shape at all beforehand but I think as a teenage girl there are I, I certainly felt pressures to, you know, look have a certain have a certain body type. So how did you train before? Before powerlifting, my training was very aesthetics focused. It was high rep, so I would be doing say five sets of eight to twelve reps of, um, say squats and and deadlifts. Um, and then I would be doing leg accessories uh, and then I'd do the same with upper body. I really did a kind of push-pull legs bro split program. So it would be um, chest, you know, chest and tries, back and buys, legs. And then I'd cycle through that uh, about five times a week. Um, so the volume, the volume of what I was doing was much greater and it was far more focused on body body aesthetics. So I really would be working on my, for example, having popping shoulders, working on uh, working on my glutes, and it was very much about um, having that bodybuilder style physique. And that was that was great for a bit. Um, I got very bored of it, which is why I I changed to powerlifting because. I got to a point when I was about 24, 25, and I'd been doing bodybuilding then for 
about four years and I, I never did bodybuilding competitions I never really have a desire to like go up on stage in a bikini that's not that's not really what I want but I was very lean in in very you know very kind of traditional classical shape that that classical female bodybuilder shape and um I just got I just got bored because I think when you get there unless you unless you really want to do competitions and you want to do bikini or fitness comps where you're you know judged on on the ratios of how your body looks and how balanced it is aesthetically which I didn't want to do I couldn't really see a way forward I couldn't see a way that I could continue to develop and I was very lean and I just thought well it's a lot of work to maintain this level of leanness and I wanted to have a six pack and I had one and then I was like well what now what happens now <laughs> what happens after the six pack <laughs> and, and, and powerlifting bring you a different mantra then Yes, I've powerlifting, um, powerlifting, which for people who don't know what powerlifting is, I think most people know what bodybuilding is because you've seen like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Powerlifting is a strength-based sport and it's about how much you can squat, deadlift and bench. And those are the three primary lifts in powerlifting. And when you go to a powerlifting competition, you will be um, asked to do a squat, a bench press and a deadlift And you'll have to do that in front of judges and they'll make sure that you're doing the lifts correctly. And really, it's about doing the lifts correctly with as much weight as you possibly can. This is this is very different from bodybuilding, because even though it still involves lifting weights, it's really about performance and it's about what the body can do, not about how the body looks The, set, the, the training is different because I'll now do fewer sessions. The sessions will be longer, though. They'll be about two hours a session. And I'll really focus on getting in heavy compound lifts, um, which I might not necessarily do in, in the high rep range. I might do, say, sets of three, sets of four, um, four sets of four, um, rather than five sets of eight or five sets of 12. Um, as I would in bodybuilding and then and then the accessories are really to support the performance of the main lifts rather than like to have guns or to have a popping booty that's not really what it's about it's about um supporting your performance have you worked with a trainer personal trainer and would you recommend doing so yes so I work with a powerlifting coach called Jason Coltman and uh, he's great And I would recommend working with a trainer um, in looking to take a step change in your fitness journey or your performance journey. I found that when I started to powerlift, I was working with another coach who was a fantastic fitness coach but wasn't powerlifting specific. So then I started to work with um, Jason, who's really helped me to reconceptualize my training to be all about powerlifting performance. I think that working with somebody else and having an external eye is really important. And I think even for people who are more just interested in getting fit and looking a bit better, having somebody watch a couple of your sessions to make sure you're doing the exercises correctly is a great thing because injuries are tough and Um, injuries can prevent you from getting to where you want to be. So making sure that you're doing things right just so that you don't get injured. What would be your advice for women considering powerlifting? Well, I think the first thing to say is that there's a kind of, I think there's a stereotype around 
women who powerlift are like I don't know big or bulky or masculine and that doesn't have to be the case I think being strong doesn't mean that you are manly and even though because powerlifting is a weight category sport there are some there are some people in the in the top weight categories who are um who are you know big and strong both both the men and the women um it's not just for people who have um bigger bones and it's a great sport to improve your physical strength and your mental strength as well because once you know that you can you know do a squat that is over your body weight that's an incredibly empowering thing to know that you can do that and to know that you're probably as as physically strong as quite a lot of guys it just gives you this incredible self-confidence powerlifting seems to have become more popular with women over event years do you think that is true and why do you think that should be i think that The stigma around women, women lifting weights is dispersing, thankfully. It was in like the late 80s that like lifting was, or weight sports, weight sports for women were put into the world championships. And it was only in the 90s that some weight sports were put in the Olympics for women. And I think it's, and now that we have this Instagram culture of um, fitness influencers who are women showing how amazing their bodies look with weight training i think it's great that weightlifting is becoming more popular with women it's it's completely amazing because it wasn't like certainly wasn't like that when i started so i think powerlifting is again becoming more popular because there are not we're breaking down those barriers as to what is perceived as feminine and what is perceived as masculine and i i hope that that means more and more women take up take up the sport take up picking up weights go to the gym and make themselves stronger so once again thank you for your for your time for this interview you did explain very well you know um, the difference between bodybuilding and uh, powerlifting what you get from your own point of view from that and uh, uh, so I did uh, listen carefully so all the best to you see you soon and uh, have a good day thank you for having me on your show it's been a pleasure So that's Hannah Elsie, who was good enough to sit down with Julian in August to talk about her journey to powerlifting. And I like this interview partly because it was a very female perspective on what is seen still by a lot of people as being a very male-orientated way of training. What is your experience, Julian, first of all, with women if they train with you in the gym? Are they becoming more orientated as Hannah has been? to training with weights and heavy weights? I think the trend may be better. In a way, they are more focused, you know, as simple as that. Now, women, of course, are physically uh, not as strong as men, and men tend to have a reputation for tackling weight training, for example, and something like powerlifting more aggressively than perhaps women do. Is that your experience? And how do women deal with that gap between male strength and their ability to lift heavy weights? and what they want to achieve when they do so. Well, I mean, powerlifting is like, it's power, it's uh, strength, you know, at its best. So I guess uh, it makes sense. It's uh, Anna uh, went on that particular field, 
uh, and it's a very yeah it's aggressive training and when we were talking I remember like she she we were talking about her injury and she was okay with that she said it's part of the process and you know she she talked the way she do the rehab exercise and to get back into it it is aggressive aggressive to your body because yeah you you want to lift as much as you can and that was uh, powerlifting is about and the other thing that Hannah spoke about very eloquently in the interview was her focus on ability over aesthetics, which again is actually quite different to the way a lot of men approach working with weights, where it's actually the reverse. It's very much about aesthetics over ability. And that was quite an interesting thing. Is that a common thing with the way women approach things mentally differently to men? Yeah, I did notice when we did talk to her with Anna that, yeah, as you just said, she, she was a bit more focused on the on the form and the idea of uh, do the right things and to be able to do the right things, this capacity for her to lift something uh, heavier than she thought she could do. It, it's just, um, it's refreshing when you have new people coming in, women or men. We need, that's what we need a bit more on the gym floor sometimes, it's people with a different perspective because they bring freshness and also a completely different uh, point of view. And uh, for a long, long time, I thought fitness was a little bit like a bit too narrow, you know, and that's why, from my point of view, we don't have too many people coming to the gym because it's not open enough. And that's why you you did rightly to choose Anna interview because it's quite appealing. And uh, yeah. So it is. So that was Hannah Elsie who dropped by in August to sit down with Julian. So that's my first choice. Who's your first choice, Julian? for one of your two favorite interviews of the year. So my first interview uh, on my top two for this year was uh, with Olivia, Olivia Trump. So we had a, an interview uh, previously uh, with Olivia about uh, our journey to our first competition. And then uh, I wanted to do a follow up with her. So we had a second interview. So we can call that the Olivia uh, Returns. Do you remember that, Alan? I do. Olivia was good enough to rejoin us in April. Uh, so let's have a little listen to part of the interview with Olivia Trump after she had taken part in a bodybuilding competition. So hello everyone, we are back with Olivia Trump. Uh, if you remember, she was competing a few months ago. So how did it go and how do you feel? Yeah, it went really well. I was really happy with it. Um, I did three competitions back to back in the end. So I did three weekends on the trot. Um, I didn't place at my first two, but they were brilliant experiences and they were really big categories as well. Um, and then my final show, I came fifth and I was really happy with my physique, my whole experience. And yeah, it, it went really well. I was really happy with it, especially for a first season. So was my coach. In the bikini category, they're looking for balance top to bottom. So I think a lot of people have the misconception that bikini girls have to be really small, which isn't always the case. I mean, if you look up at the pros in kind of Olympia and, and over in the Americas and stuff, the girls aren't small. They're just very lean and quite muscular, but they're very balanced kind of through their musculature from top to bottom. And that's what my category was looking for. Yeah, I was really happy with it. Um, I really enjoyed the whole 
process. Like I traveled up to Birmingham the day before. Um, I had some of my friends and family come with me. So that kind of, I think, helped keep my nerves at bay. My coach was brilliant. She was there with me on show day. So I didn't have, I literally didn't have to worry about anything. She was very quick to be in contact with me about any worries I had and very quickly squashed any anxieties. So I really enjoyed it. The show day went really well. Everything ran really smoothly. I think I was really nervous going into it, knowing that I was going to have to be kind of alone backstage because they, as a first time as competition, they don't allow you to have your coaches backstage with you. Um, and I think that's just uh, so that everyone's on a fair playing field. It was nice to sit down with all the girls. There were a couple of girls that I'd been talking to before the competition that I knew were going and I, it was really lovely to meet up with them. They're from all over the country. So yeah, it was nice to meet everyone and have a chat with people that have been going through the same thing that you have for the last 20 or so weeks. You mentioned anxiety. Would you say there's a lot of anxiety in uh, in bodybuilding? I think I was really lucky because I, I can be quite an anxious person day to day and I think actually this process has probably taken a lot of that out of me and really kind of shifted and changed my mindset and how I approach life and my confidence levels and not just because of how I looked but just because of the mental battles I had to go through I think it's actually really helped me I know that there are probably people out there that it's potentially made their anxiety worse or it's affected them mentally in other ways but for me I felt really lucky because I kind of expected to have loads of nerves and show day jitters and was I think myself and everyone I was with was really surprised at how relaxed I was I kind of didn't worry about everything I kind of put my feet up and just got to have a laugh on the day and was really relaxed so I feel quite lucky that that was my first experience and it hasn't made me ever worry about going back on stage like I know I'm very capable of it and I enjoyed the whole process so it wasn't uh, I wasn't worried on the day uh, can you basically talk us through what happened on the day before or on the day itself so the day before I drove up to Birmingham um, I needed to get up there quite early my coach basically I would check in with her for the final week before my comp I checked in with my coach every single morning on the day before my competition I checked in after every single meal so Rosie gave me my meals every couple of hours um, and kind of told me roughly what I would need so she said I'd need rice cakes and chicken and peanut butter and all those sorts of things but she gave me my actual amounts kind of meal by meal and then I would check in about an hour after I'd eaten just so she could see how my body was reacting to the food that I was eating it was tough to manage with kind of the long drive up because I kind of had to I had to eat just before I left and then obviously an hour later I needed to check in which meant I had to stop at like a service station and go into one of the disabled toilets put my bikini on my heels and check in at a service station so that was a bit of a weird one but um, I went up there I got settled into my hotel I had to go and get my base coat of tan that evening so went and registered got my number for my show and got my base tan and then it was just a case of getting back to the hotel putting my feet up and trying to relax as much as possible so literally laying on the floor with my feet up kind of on the bed to reduce any water so what was the atmosphere like and the vibe amongst uh, those taking part um, everyone was really lovely I think there's sometimes can be a bit of a misconception of what bodybuilders are like I think and don't get me wrong there probably are people like this out there but I don't think I really had any experience of it in that it's competitive the people that you're backstage with obviously you're stepping on stage and competing against them and trying to beat them but there's this sense of camaraderie that you've all gone through this whole process separately but together mm -hmm. and I think there's a massive respect for one another as athletes and that shows on show day like 
like you all sit backstage and you're taking pictures together and you're talking and you're kind of going through your prep files and showing where you started from and how you got there and I just think it's probably very different than people would expect it to be I think even kind of my family when they asked me about it said that they would expect it to be like quite a bitchy environment and they'd expect people to be very closed off to talking to other people and would be in their own zone and not want to interact with anyone but that wasn't my experience at all I think everyone was really friendly when I got there obviously I had to go in and, and get changed into my bikini and everything on my own and because I had all my hair and my makeup and everything done um it was really hard and I had hair extensions at the time so I had lots of hair to try and get through which trying to put on like a bikini that's fastened in a way that you're not used to and gets caught on things because of diamantes and all sorts like it was really weird but as I was trying to get into my bikini backstage a girl that I'd literally never met before and hadn't spoken to was like oh do you want me to give you a hand and it was just really friendly and lovely and I think just before you get on stage you probably get those like nervous jitters but everyone's just so excited for each other that you've kind of finally made it to show day so yeah it's it's a really nice environment I think what did you do immediately after the event I got this really massive like punch of adrenaline so as soon as I stepped off stage I got really really shaky my coach was calling me and I think it was because she was worried that I was upset because I hadn't placed but I basically went downstairs grabbed all my stuff to get outside to meet everyone that had come to watch me um, and as soon as I saw them I kind of burst into tears and I was just I couldn't I just kept saying to them I can't believe I just did that we ran back to my hotel dropped my stuff and let me get changed and then we basically went out for food so my coach said I could have an off-plan meal straight after show whatever I wanted she asked me not to go too crazy in terms of like how much I'm eating but obviously anything compared to what I had been eating for the last kind of six to eight weeks before show was going to feel like a lot so So me and my friends and my sister went over to TGI Fridays and we had food over there and then we basically went back and went to sleep because I think show day is such a, you have this massive build up and then you're kind of sat for hours throughout the day just chilling and then you're kind of on and off the stage really quickly. So I feel like I almost kind of, my brain didn't really get a time, like a minute to process what was going on. So yeah, I think it was just nice to go out and finally have a meal with friends because I hadn't had an off-plan meal for sort of 10 to 12 weeks pre-show. So just getting to go out and have normal food with people was um it was really nice obviously it was your first competition so how did your training and diet change after the event um so post show after i'd done my three events back to back i actually got quite ill before just before my final show um so i came down with this kind of really horrible cold and it stuck with me for months and i probably only shook it in about january but post show immediately the first thing to do was kind of to try and remove as much stress from the body as possible so we took a nice big food bump so that I was eating more food making sure that I was rehydrating again because obviously just before show you, you cut water down so hydration played a big part in, in kind of that Uh, do you train differently on nowadays after the show? Um, I'm still training in a very similar way. Um, so what we did was we took, we did my reverse diet. And while I was reverse dieting, I kind of kept training the same sort of sessions, but we pulled back on intensity just to allow my body some time to recover. Um, once we had all the feedback from the judges, we looked at the areas that they wanted to see improvements in, in terms of like muscle growth. They said I had a really great frame for bikini and they just wanted to see a little bit more kind of density, like around the upper glutes um, and in the adductors. So Rosie then adjusted my training program based on that. So we went to training six days a week rather than five. No, pretty much no cardio. I was basically just doing steps to make sure that I wasn't staying too kind of sluggish. So I moved to training three uppers and three lowers. 
a week. We kept monitoring that over the first couple of weeks post-show. And we basically kept that training split all the way up until I recovered from this coldy flu thing that I had kind of the middle to end of January. And then since then, we've changed my training split so that I train up as twice a week and low as four times a week. And that's just because we found that my upper body was developing really quickly compared to my lower. So I've always found kind of growing muscle through my shoulders and my back quite easy. So I've got quite a dense upper body. So we just wanted to make sure that we were maintaining that balanced physique that bikini's looking for. So we backed off the upper body a little bit and we're now focusing more on lower body development. But yeah, I still train in a very similar way, but just a lot less cardio now. So of course, the listener, I'm sure they want to know, like, will you be taking part in a similar competition in the future? So the current plan is, I think because it's my second season, I can be a little bit more flexible in terms of what I commit to. So last year, a lot of the shows that I wanted to do were shows that were going to get booked really up really far in advance. So we had to commit to them. So this year, what we've done is we've kind of set a date for when I'd be looking to compete if I wanted to step on stage. So I'm basically keeping my prep exactly the same as if I was going to compete. But the plan right now is for me to prep for a photo shoot. And then if we kind of decide, if Rosie looks at my physique and goes, yep, you could be stage ready in two or three weeks, then we can manipulate kind of my diet, my training to reflect that. But right now, I think we've decided photo shoot in September, just because I think with the job that I'm doing now, I really don't know if mentally I could cope with another prep and keep my work standards as high as they need to be. So I think just removing that pressure of committing to a date and paying for a show and everything has really helped me and means that like my body is holding on to a lot less water because my cortisol levels aren't as high. So yeah, we are prepping. I've started prep about two weeks ago, which means we've started to bring my food down, put my cardio back up again, but there's no kind of set dates, but we're looking around the sort of September time again, if I was going to step on stage. What will be your advice for women thinking of taking part in similar events? Be really sure that you're doing it for the right reasons. I think having caught up with a few of the girls on the day, the girls that were kind of more nervous and really found the last few weeks really, really difficult were girls that were kind of, they didn't have a solid purpose as to why they were doing it. It was very much they'd committed because they thought it would be fun and they thought it was really glamorous. And I think that it's really important before you decide to commit to understand fully kind of how expensive it is, how much of your life it takes up because it is completely consuming. It's an amazing experience, but it takes a lot from a person in terms of not just leading up to the show, but even post-show, I think is almost more difficult because I think people assume that once you finish competing, you can just go straight back to the same lifestyle you had before your prep and you can eat what you want and do what you like. And that for me, I think was the harder side of things was coming out of the other side of a show and kind of getting people to understand you can't just go straight back to your normal life. You And no matter how kind of strict you stay, like you look very different on show day than you even look three, four days before. So you can imagine kind of how quickly that definition in your physique looks totally different a week later and it's it really does play games with your mind so just make sure when you're getting into it that you are really doing it for the right reasons and you understand everything about prep show post-show and reverse dieting like it's all it's a really big game so do your research there's a lot of stuff out there uh, you mentioned that it's expensive so how expensive uh, what we're talking about the food the entry for the show yeah so i mean i'm talking obviously if you're, you're paying for a coach i paid for a coach and a posing coach so i had two different people on the go at once it's all the food um obviously when you're prepping it's a little bit easier because you start to cut your food down so you're not eating as much but bulking i say bulking um your off season is, is just as important so for muscle growth you obviously need to be eating a lot of protein and 
So it, it does get expensive in terms of food. Supplements, eventually you will need to be taking supplements to make sure that you're keeping your body in a good position health-wise because obviously you are depriving it of some of the nutrients it probably needs. And then, yeah, you look at kind of a, a show. If I talk you through a typical show weekend, it's you're paying a registration fee for that federation. You're paying entry fees for your classes. You're paying for your bikinis, which aren't cheap, even if you go for kind of the cheaper end of the spectrum. Um, you've got heels. You've then got tan, hair, makeup, accommodation. So if you're obviously traveling away, you need to stay somewhere, travel. So yeah, it, it all really does add up. So just have a chat with someone who's competed. There's lots of podcasts and kind of articles online and lots of people that are very transparent on their social medias about how expensive it is. So yeah, you've just got to make sure that you can commit to something because it, it really does add up. I think even me going into it, knowing that it was expensive, kind of you get to, sh to close to your shows and you kind of go, oh my gosh, I need to sort out this and that. And you don't realize how expensive it becomes and it all, it all does add up. Uh, what would be your advice absolutely not to do from your experience? I'd say try not to go to your show on your own. I know that's probably easier said than done for some people. Um, but I think the one show that I, I didn't go to on my own, but I had less people there with me leading up to the show was my final one. So even though I'd done it twice already, I think the night before I was probably a lot more nervous because I didn't have anyone with me taking my mind off what was going on. And obviously I think you, you really end up with these kind of mental tricks being played on yourself because your brain is in such a foggy position because it's hungry. So I think having someone with you on show day is really, really important. So I was lucky enough that I had people at every show, but just that night before I, I almost really struggled on my last show because I just felt quite lonely and isolated the night before. Like it is a lonely sport. And if you can find someone or some people, or if you've got a good coach that, that is there to support you, then, then yeah, that is one thing I'd definitely stick with. Make sure you don't eat too much after your show. I think one of my shows, my last one, the first thing I did when I got off stage was like eat this, this cookie. And it was the, amazing at the time. And then probably about half an hour later, I regretted it because I felt so so tired and sluggish and what I should have done getting straight off stage was hydrate because my water loading for that week was as high as it had been so I'd got up to seven liters so then to dehydrate myself for the two days before my show I didn't realize how much of a massive impact it had on my body and I should have rehydrated first so when you step off stage the first thing you need to do is drink a really big glass of water well it's uh, if you have any question about bodybuilding you can ask Olivia she's been through she know what it is now and uh, thank you so much Olivia for the interview and uh, see you soon thank you for having me I hope to be back soon so that's Olivia and uh, fascinating journey to uh, bodybuilding and competition so interesting part was like you know you go to the first competition and then what it was interesting to see that she's want to carry on and also uh, a profile is interesting because she work in fitness industry it's a driven process you know you train in fitness and you want to be the best version you can as well and uh, yeah uh, i did like uh, the fact she was taking every advice uh, on board she had two coaches you know like uh, the posing coaches and and also uh, a fitness coach it's it's interesting because again like we were talking about anna earlier olivia is very very focus on what she's doing and I'm sure uh, in the future she will remain that way and also I think she is already a winner from my point of view. Now this was another one of our interviews which focused very much on the female perspective 
on what is, in the minds of a lot of people, a very male-dominated area, which is obviously bodybuilding and competing in competitions. Olivia, when she spoke to us for the first time, she was moving into that competition. When she spoke to us for the second time, it was about her experience of taking part. And the thing that struck me about that interview was how much focus and energy and hard work she and also obviously the other women taking part in the competition had to put into it. It was a real eye-opener in terms of the dedication that is involved and the sacrifices women like Olivia have to make. And also we were talking about her career as a, as a fitness person. And uh, yeah, I know now Olivia started working for First Space and uh, it's uh, moving on and up for her. And I think there's a parallel with the way she do the competition for uh, on private side and the business now she's uh, running. And I think it's, yeah, it was both together makes sense because it's definitely the second interview, as you say, I found Olivia more confident as well. She was almost, I would say, another lady. And uh, that's what it does to a person, woman or man. If you push yourself and, you, you know, you, you become professional on your daily basis about what you do. Yeah, she was strong. That was the thing about the second interview, uh, as you've touched upon. The strength of her character came through. It was like it had been amplified by her experience training and competing, had added a layer to her uh, and made her bigger, funnily enough. Yeah, it was. And, uh, and I've stayed, um, it's, uh, it's nice to see that. Nice people changing, moving, evolving. I think it's it's nice. You don't nobody wants to see someone stagnate or yeah, lack of perspective and uh, and she was the exact opposite of that. So that was that's why I pick up Olivia interview as my top two. Uh, so that was Olivia uh, from April. And funnily enough, were the second interview I've pulled out to focus on is one that happened more recently in October with Ovi DeMars, which was quite a focused and detailed interview about his experience of the bodybuilding lifestyle, the sacrifices he has made, and the discipline of the training. This was really interesting to me because of the detail of it, and I found it a bit of an eye-opener, actually. So let's have a, a little listen to Ovi in the interview, and then we'll have a little chat on the other side. you can explore, we, you can 
can you can also uh, how do you say um, extend yourself. You can um, improve. You can adapt, and yeah, you can you can progress with the information. This is what you need, and also you can make also money with the information. Yeah. So you mentioned you saw that guy was super fit in the street. Before and or after uh, after that, what was your inspiration? Like, I mean, did you have any an actor and a, a bodybuilder name or? When I was yeah, I have an actor I like a lot when I was small. I was uh, um, Sylvester Stallone, Rambo. You know, everyone watched Rambo that time. You know, it was muscly, was good looking. You know, was strong. And as a kid, I like him. I like his movies. Also Arnold Schwarzenegger, also Jean Jean Claude Van Damme. Yeah. You know, all these guys they big inspiration at that time for us, like 20 years ago, 25 years ago. So, yeah, like... Why bodybuilding and not um, another activity? Why bodybuilding? Because you have to be very disciplined. You have to... Um, be very strong mentally and you have to work hard to get an amazing physique and uh, compete and um, yeah a lot of dedication motivation uh, if you if you don't have those things I don't think you, you belong there like I mean in bodybuilding or fitness industry because they're two different things fitness industry and bodybuilding I like to work hard and um, I like to improve with my body and I like to look good on stage and um, I like to be the best I can be. So for me, bodybuilding was, um, and it is one of the hardest and, and, and the most disciplined sports. So I choose bodybuilding just because I like to look good and I want to be the best I can be. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it gives you a structure, an ethic, life ethic, life structure, structure for life. Yeah. So, you know, you see a lot of guys, um, Um, they start going to the gym and they see other guys like bodybuilders competing and stuff like that and then they want to compete as well but I always said to achieve a good physique takes like um, maybe five to ten years like to build a good physique for stage which is takes a lot of commitment hard work dedication discipline I'm gonna say this to people. In bodybuilding, if you don't have discipline and nutrition, you're not gonna achieve your goals. You need to be very disciplined and you have to be with nutrition really, really, really good if you wanna compete. If you wanna be healthy or if you wanna be like, I don't know, if you wanna just have an aesthetic physique, Yeah, you can eat healthy, you can treat yourself sometimes, but bodybuilding is different. It's a hard sport, so it's not easy. It's not for everyone. You see maybe a lot of people in the gym, they never change in two, three years. You see the same faces in the gym, they never change. There is a problem. When people start doing different things, then they're gonna change. You know, you have to take it to the next level. This is in bodybuilding. Everyone starts competing for a show. You're not gonna maybe win or you're not gonna get first place. But the consistency, if you keep going, if you keep going, if you keep working hard, if you believe in yourself or if you, I don't know, if you commit and if you like dream a lot and you put your own dedication, you sacrifice a lot because in bodybuilding, when you start prep, like for me, when I start prep, I don't have social life. No social life. I have to be very strictly diet, no meal skipping, no training skipping, no cardio skipping. You have to recover really, really well. What is your training? I mean, what's how do you train basically, Ovi? Well, the training, oh, this is the most uh, good part. 
I train basic, like, you know, I like old school. I don't like the new version. I don't like the new school. I like old school, like, years 80, 90, until 2000, 2005, when they were that era, where the guys looks amazing and they put the work in and they work hard. Well, well, depends. When I'm off-season, my training is like, I try to train heavy, but not that heavy because I'm no power lifter, I'm a bodybuilder. So I try to avoid injuries and I try to, uh, to don't, um, you know, don't injure myself. But now, for example, now in, off, in, in, in on prep, it's high volume and reps. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes high intensity. Uh, sometimes we do this kind of drop sets, supersets, you know, but most of my time, my training is like basic, like, you know. How many times you train a week, for example, at the moment? Because I'm prepping now maybe five times, sometimes six times, because I need two days off, because you also have to recover. The most important part on this thing, um, when you're prepping, you have to recover. Uh, there are three things. Nutrition, you have to be, the diet has to be very strict and very clean. Uh, like, for example, for me, everything is plain. I had only sold, not even like seasoning or stuff like that. And then training and then recovery. Because if you don't recover, because you're weak when you prep, you low calories, you're tired, you're tired, your body doesn't respond, you, you're not in a good mood, I try to avoid injury. And thank you to God, in 14 years, I, I don't think I have injuries. I don't have not even one injury. How long is um, your training, like an hour or more? Uh, it's basic. It's one hour and fifteen minutes, one hour twenty minutes, um, no more than that. Sometimes one hour and a half uh, with cardio. But yeah, basic is one one hour, one hour fifteen minutes, one hour twenty minutes. That's it. Can you explain uh, briefly what is high volume? Okay, high volume training like it's heavy weights. But remember, not like a power lifter and reps and sets. Like for example, let's say I did Monday legs and I do like two sets of warm up and then six sets just doing like maybe 40 reps with drop set like going super heavy on the leg extension and just going reps, 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 reps. This is high volume training, heavy as possible and reps. How many reps? Oh, I did like maybe 40 reps, 10 drop down, because I do a drop set, 10 drop down, then five seconds break, drop down again, five seconds break, drop down again, and then last set, then you keep going. Yeah, so just basically you just change the way, five seconds break and you go again. And you do like 40, 40, 45 reps, and then one minute and 15 seconds break and you go again. So I did six sets, just an example for leg extension. If you wanna like, for quads, I recommend three exercises, leg extension, hack squat and squat that's it this is what I recommend you have to build your good quads yeah so it leads me to the next question like um, do you change a lot your exercise panel let's say or you or not so much um, not really um, basically I change like, so if like for example I'm six weeks out on Saturday from my next show in Italy so um, last three weeks I just I keep the way I try to keep the way high as much as possible and then um, but 
until three weeks out. And then after three weeks out, I just introduce like maybe one, two exercise, drop set, super set, giant set, that's all, nothing. But usually it's basic. With three weeks out, we just make small adjustments, small changes, and that's it. I keep it basic how it is. This is how bodybuilding is. Let's talk about two sort of diets. The diet like um, when you are not competing and the diet when you are competing. Oh, so yeah. the, the first one, when you just like, yeah. I would say normal yeah. diet, if I can say. Okay, um, I, I like, uh, so you are to question training. I like the, the question. And the diet this is the hardest part where a lot of people when they hear this uh, word diet they get blank they stop they like every, the word stops around them yeah there are two types of diet for me in off season obviously it's a lot more food and we can have like maybe one or two cheat meal a week you know maybe sometimes three well it depends how do you look or it depends what your goal is for next year or for next show or for next season but to me um, basically uh, when I'm off season it's a lot more food and hard training because um, I look to improve every year. I look to um, grow and I look to be better than I was last year or this year. So off-season needs a lot more food. It's not a strict diet. You can have like, you know, let's say if you have like a meal, let's say rice, chicken, you can have some like tomato ketchup, zero calories, stuff like that. You can have seasoning. You can have, you know, you can have your cheat meal one a week or two times a week so on off season it's a lot more food and um, hard training uh, now you ask me about um, when I'm not in off season um, it's hard when you're prepping because the diet has to be very strict you don't have to skip meals you don't have to like go over let's say you have 200 gram of rice don't cheat if you go to 2.5 you're already cheating you have to be very strict with me it's very plain for, for example let's say I have in the morning like oats with whey isolate protein that's it and and two eggs, that's it. And then the rest, chicken rice, chicken rice, plain, uh, and asparagus or broccoli or spinach, fish, sweet potatoes, fish, sweet potatoes, and that's it, like, but plain, nothing on it, like only salt, like pink sea salt, that's it. It's really hard because when I come close to the competition, the calorie drop is gonna drop down, the food is going down, so it's start getting even harder, harder, harder than was like, let's say, 16 weeks ago. So the diet has to be very strict. No meal skipping, no like, no adding more than uh, it's on the plan. Stay with the protocol. Like, like how I said, like, don't go over. If you have 200, 200 grams of rice, don't go to 10. Don't go. Stay strict. This is the discipline what you have to do, which a lot of people, they don't have that, to be honest with you. And um, I realized that now those days, a lot of people, they want to compete. But when it comes to diet, they just go for two weeks and they give up. It's not for everyone like I said not everyone can do this going in the dark zone especially with three weeks out four weeks out I have a friend of mine for example he's four days out he's only on 50 grams of oats every day for two weeks imagine that being on 50 grams of only oats in the morning and the rest of the day five minutes protein that's it it's really hard that's that's why people um, they cannot do that that's why I said all the time the difference someone being good and someone being great everyone can be good but how many of, of us can be great like being you know when you see 10 10 nine people on stage and all look very good they look amazing and then it's coming the, the last one which there are 10 person and the last person it looks 
great, like better than all night. That's the difference, you know. Also, as an athlete, um, I try to reach my pro card, IBB Pro, and try to get off-season growing, improving more, and then going for a pro show, and one day, you never know, maybe I can qualify for Olympia, so let's see. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that will be um, a huge target for you to go to Olympia. That is going to be the, I think, my dream, like, it's going to be the highest level I can achieve, like, even it's hard to win a show like that, but just being there in, like, in for 60 physics, 40 physics in the world, it's amazing. So, yeah, my objective is, like, grow my business as in my, with my job as a coach, personal trainer, and then just as an athlete, just improving, growing, bringing a pro physique uh, on stage. And one day, maybe we're going to reach the pro card and then just going there for a pro show and then let's see what's happening. Olympia is the biggest competition you can get into bodybuilding? Mr. Olympia, yeah, it's um, the Federation School, IABB Pro. It's the biggest show in the world with the best athletes in the world and with the best sponsorship, with the best, like, you know, the, the best athletes in the world, like, the level it's insane amazing the level of those guys the physics they look incredible like they look really really good i was talking to some of the we did uh, some other interview with um bodybuilder what, what is and they talk about category do you have what is your category uh, my category is classic physique um i choose this category because i like old school um i don't think i can be two one two or bodybuilding open because i'm five foot five and yeah we need to put a lot of size i stick with classic physique um I think this class suits me so good. So for me, I, I like classic physique. Um, yeah, there are different classes like um, classic physique, main physique, uh, two on two bodybuilding and bodybuilding open, open. So for me, classic physique is the best class where I can compete in. So what is your advice for people to to start as a bodybuilder? Also, we can add our, uh, your advice for people to start as a coach, maybe. Uh, okay, as for people who they want to start as a bodybuilder, work hard, dream a lot, stay focused, don't listen to what other people say to you because people they are gonna like wanna stop you. When you're doing something good, people they're gonna be never gonna be happy. Just yet yeah, work hard, dream a lot be disciplined stay consistent like just go to the gym don't listen to no one and just work work and be motivated and you have to love what you do if you don't love to do if you don't put the passion you're not gonna achieve your goals as a coach i remember when i started 14 years ago first five years i was an amateur i didn't know nothing about bodybuilding then i do research i start working with people who they have experience 25 years in um i advise them to be very knowledgeable because especially those days coaches and personal trainers they work with people and when someone comes to you that guy is coming to you for a reason because he trusts you and he maybe he wants to lose weight maybe he wants to get fit maybe he wants to get uh, aesthetic body i recommend to those people who want to start personal training or coaches to be very knowledgeable because if you're not knowledgeable you're not gonna achieve results with your clients with your competitors or whatever it is so first you have to be very knowledgeable you have to have also a body because it's your cv as well and you have to know about when you go in the gym because theoretically everyone knows stuff talking everyone when you go in the gym practically it's really hard because if someone asks you a movement or what that machine do you have to know what everything does that's for that person so do a lot of research and learn 
every day you can learn knowing bodybuilding even in life and uh, I saw with my bare eyes like you you train a lot of women I'm specialized on this kind of bikini and women's yeah because um, I change over like 14 years 3500 physics I have six champ bikini champions um, girls so um, yeah uh, myself I'm two times a British champion classic physique so yeah I specialize on this kind of bikini woman's transformation I have plenty of them like over the years so I train also guys the guys that scared to train with me they don't want to train me because I kill them but I train also guys I have a couple of guys who they train with me so but most most of them they are women so because um, I'm specialized on this kind of bikini stuff so they like that thank you for your time Ovi and uh, yeah definitely is uh, a great bodybuilder and also uh, passionate so which is uh... thank you so much um, I wait to do more of this kind of podcast I love them I love I like, I like the, the idea and yeah, okay, for me, I grow with this last 14 years. I love what I do and my passion is, you know, I, I do a lot of sacrifice, you know, and um, yeah, the, this is my life. So. Yeah, that's your life. It, it's uh, it tells when uh, people see you soon. Have, uh, thank you and uh, see you soon, Owi. Thank you so much and have a lovely day. Thank you. See you soon. So that's Ovi DeMars and Julian sitting down in October to talk about bodybuilding and Ovi's experience of it. Now, one of the things, uh, in fact, the whole focus of the interview really was the mentality and the mental discipline of bodybuilding. It was a real eye-opener for me as I touched upon uh, just now on the other side. Uh, bodybuilding is not just a physical or a mechanical process. It's very, very much a test of character and mental discipline, is it not, Julian? As you said, for another aspect, we did talk about uh, with Ovi, which is the mental uh, approach of bodybuilding, what it takes really to, to reach the top, let's say. And uh, yeah, a lot of discipline. That was a word that came out of the quite a lot. And uh, it's a very military approach uh, and it seems sometime and uh, no matter what you have to keep training and uh, the nutritional part as well was important and um, I did enjoy it and it was uh, it was a very intense interview I remember as well because yeah Ovi Dumas is not uh, a cheater at all. I think the other thing that came through the interview as well which was a surprise to me is that bodybuilding isn't really for everybody. If you're able-bodied and you want to uh, do well adding muscle mass or whatever, it doesn't automatically follow that if you train, it'll work for you. You need to have a certain mindset and you need to think, as Ovi explained in some detail, in the medium and the long term constantly to make progress. If you can't do that, if that's not your personality, you're not. It doesn't matter how much energy you put in at the beginning, you're not going to succeed. Yeah, it was, uh, and I thought for myself, like, I'm not a bodybuilder. I mean, I, I'm on a parallel road, if you want, and uh, I've got my own ambition and all that. But yeah, it is, uh, I don't have that kind of um, mentality. That's why I guess bodybuilding never come to my to my world. And, uh, and I'm always saying that I'm always fascinating by people who do bodybuilding. And uh, yeah. And also in comparison to... The other two interviews we've just touched upon, a very male perspective, a very male view on weight training, competition and bodybuilding that came through very strongly as well, I think. 
I remember also when uh, I, I was asking how, how he start his, uh, his bodybuilding passion, you know, like, and uh, I remember he was talking about Sylvester Stallone. I did like it for that, you know, to how it starts. It was uh, a nice, uh, definitely a nice chat, you know. So that's the second of uh, my choices uh, from the interviews we did this year. Uh, and now, Julian, what is your final interview pick from 2023? Well, the second and last one for, so for me, it's uh, the interview I had with Matt Dale, talking with him about the journey of becoming a PT. Of course, that was, uh, it brought me back 15 years ago and uh, what a journey he has been. So Matt Dale spoke to Julian in June of uh, this year and they had a very personal trainer conversation about the business, about the steps involved in moving up the personal trainer career ladder. Uh, so let's have a little listen to some of that interview. Hi everyone, I'm here today with Matt Dale, who is a personal trainer at Jubileum. So tell me Matt, how long have you been a PT and how did you get started? So um, I qualified in summer of 2013 is when I got my uh, level two and level three uh, CYQ certifications uh, to be both a fitness instructor and personal trainer. Um, how I kind of got into fitness um, I didn't really start to show any kind of care or interest in my own state of health until I was probably my early to mid-20s, which I think is probably quite late compared to many. Many who are in this industry, I think, probably start in their earlier years, maybe late teens, something like that. Um, I think I caught a sight of myself in a mirror one too many times. I just wasn't happy with what I was seeing. And I realized that unless I actually did something different to what I was doing, nothing was going to change. And if anything, it would just get worse. I started doing some kind of working out at home. I've got a few bits of equipment, uh, no real structure or proper idea of what was good technique or how much I needed to do or anything like that. And then I started following some kind of online uh, streaming workouts. They weren't anything particularly fantastical. Uh, they were fairly straightforward. But um, the interesting thing was um, I started to enjoy the process of working out. But what interested me more perhaps was I started to actually become enthused with learning about this is what this muscle does or this is what happens when I use uh, this part of the body. You know, it's starting to understand, oh, that's why we do this movement because it targets this part of the anatomy. This is what that actually does. So I started to have more of an interest in the function of the body and the muscles, which kind of led me to think, oh, maybe this is something I I can have an interest in or maybe this is a road I want to go down. Um, so we can say that you were like a customer to uh, when you start uh, with the fitness industry and then you became you, you get into the, the PT world yeah I, I, yeah I became the customer and, uh, or started off as the customer and the fitness bug weirdly stuck and I, I started to enjoy the feeling I got from it whether it was a mental thing whether it was a physical thing uh, the feeling of being somewhat accomplished learning new skills and feeling strong feeling kind of physically uh, capable is quite a nice feeling to have so yeah i guess that really started me off and i started to try and kind of not not coach but sort of um explain to f friends and family what i was doing and why i was doing certain things and my uh, then fiance now wife made a comment that 
oh, you always talk about this stuff really passionately. You clearly really, really enjoy it. You explain it very, very well. And I was in a, a dead-end office job at the time, which I was absolutely hating and wanted wanted a way out, but didn't... Uh, on one hand, it was my safety net, so I was afraid to leave, but also I didn't have a plan in mind for what I would do if I decided to leave. What was your first client experience like? Yeah, so I had a couple of clients I started with when I began as a fully freelance personal trainer, which was in January 2014. Um, I was working out of Ironmonger Road Baths, which is one of the better chain gyms, and they were just clients I picked up at the gym. There was a, a lead register in the gym and there were several trainers on site and basically uh, potential leads would leave their names phone numbers email addresses whoever whatever trainer was around whoever happened to get to that list first they would obviously contact the lead and say hi i'm joe blogs or whoever and talk about their interest in training and then call them in for a consultation how difficult was it to get started and what did you have to do to get uh, established the uh, school that i qualified through set me up with um, uh, a personal training agency called your personal training um, they stationed me I had a choice between several different gyms to start off in uh, the one I chose was Ironmonger Road Baths which is in Islington and um, but it was a, a rent basis the problem is going into this fully freelance I had built no contacts no leads or anything so I was starting from scratch and on, on reflection now it isn't the way I would have done things if I'd known better because in the back of your mind you're dealing with that stress of oh my god I've got hundreds of pounds to make for rent each month I've got no contacts yet how do I get leads how do I build relationships with people how do I get them to trust me because knowing how to coach exercise is one thing or knowing your way around the gym is one thing but learning how to communicate with real human beings with real lives jobs other responsibility stresses and getting them to build their confidence in your product or what it is that you're trying to share is is a different kettle of fish altogether and that's something that at the time wasn't really covered in any of the textbooks it's how do you talk to people how do you get across your message or your passion and how do you infuse that in others uh, i was luckier in a way because i start working for the gym and as a fitness instructor and it gives you that time without the rent uh let's say um, pressure to as you just say rightly just how to communicate with people to to now your message and to yeah it's a uh, yeah i want i want as you say i won't recommend anyone to start as a freelance everyone should start working for a gym a company it helps you to get through the, the the beginning you know how would you describe your personal training your style i would say that my style is emulating Uh, certain styles that I've observed in other more experienced trainers who I admire or look up to or respect. I'm very much a fan of the idea that I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. So I'm kind of looking to what's been done before that's been proven to be effective and that most people could benefit from. So, you know, fundamental movement patterns, squat, lunge, hinge, push, pull, you know, doing enough frequency, training with enough intensity, enough volume, and then 
outside factors such as how much rest people are getting you know what's their general kind of dietary behavior like things like that and just trying to get as many ducks in the line as possible but i vary up uh, exercise variations according to what do i think the individual in front of me is going to be capable of managing you know some people might enjoy the challenge of slightly more complex skill development uh, which can be very satisfying others who are maybe very busy very stressed individuals very tired who don't want to have to think about too many things may do better with exercises where there are uh, where there's lower complexity fewer moving parts to worry about where they can kind of move a little bit more on autopilot so it depends person to person i I use a kind of a general structure a template of training but i vary uh, the specific exercises the amount of volume and the intensities according to the person that's in front of me and the other thing is also learning how to read the room on the day because even the same client from session to session can give off a different energy depending on how other things are going in their life so you have to kind of read the room a little bit and learn how to adjust things on the fly as well is there a link between the way you train yourself and the way you train people yes there is yeah i, I would say very much that the way i i train for myself that's very much reflected in the way that I train clients in terms of the general structure of the sessions, the types of exercises I might choose for them. And I know there are probably different thoughts on that. Some people say, oh, you know, you shouldn't train your clients the way you train yourself. And I think it depends on, you know, how the exercises suit their builds, their level of skill competence, their level of comfort, you know, and kind of what they need. So I wouldn't say it's a bad thing that you necessarily train your clients in a similar way to the way you train yourself. But obviously, you may just need to adjust the volume, the intensity, the frequency according to schedule, how well they recover and things like that. I wouldn't say the structure needs to be massively different, but just obviously bear in mind how much load you're introducing them to, how gradually that's that's happening and the volume of work they're doing and factor in all the other things they have to do in their life. You know, are they recovering well enough to be able to balance all of those responsibilities? From your point of view, how important is social media and what channel do you use? Yeah, so for social media, I'm on Instagram is probably the one I use the most just in terms of the stuff I post. Um, I do use Facebook, but probably not as actively. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, it is a bit hit and miss. I wouldn't say that social media is all that great for picking up potential new clients or leads. Yes, it can let them know you exist, but I, I think a, a better way if you if you're lucky enough to be able to spend a reasonable amount of time in any kind of gym setting is use the gym floor you know you've got hopefully any number of people on that gym floor at any one time they're there for a reason right they've come there because they want to train they've come there because they want to get stronger they want to learn new skill they want to make some sort of aesthetic improvement perhaps so you know don't be afraid to talk to people on the floor introduce yourself say hi it doesn't have to be sleazy say hi say uh, you know uh, i was just curious you know what, what are you working on what are you training right now um is there any way i can be of support or help you know i'm on the floor if you have any questions you know i'm a really approachable guy please come over and ask i'll do my best to help whenever i'm free so i think yeah just talking to people and also another little tip i learned from john goodman who's the head coach of the personal trainer development center is people love helping other people it makes them feel really good so if you can talk to members on the gym floor but in a way as to get them to do something for you 
it starts you off on a really good setting because, again, people get a sense of uh, accomplishment or a sense of self-appreciation for helping other people. So it might be a case of a trainer going up to a gym floor member and saying, oh, hey, if you've got a few minutes spare, would you mind helping me out? I'm trying to practice this stretch. Could you be my volunteer and tell me what you think of it? It's a good way of getting some feedback and just kind of getting a conversation going. What is the best and worst aspect about being a personal trainer? Yeah, so the worst definitely is uh, particularly when you're in a operating on a freelance basis and if you don't have a good kind of social or support network around you it can be it can be very lonely it can be very uh, a, uh, very isolating very alienating you know even today i i have periods where i deal with crippling self-doubt and kind of anxiety and you know those kind of imposter syndrome type feelings where you think am i really good enough to do this you know why is it that i'm not able to get people to trust in me why is it i'm not able to get people to be confident enough to talk to me or stuff like that so you know i deal with that on a daily basis and i concur because uh, i've been into the business for 15 years and i, I won't say one of the best uh, quality in that business is uh, the communication between people i think it's a very close-up world and especially between personal trainer and uh, i understand that it's not easy to to feel because we are human beings we need to talk we need to we need to action and if we don't do that's where i guess anxiety get in and you know we make like assumption and stuff like that so yeah absolutely you know and, and as a pt if you you know being in a new environment so having moved to jubilee hall from my previous setting uh, i mean i've been here coming up to a year now but you know even as a someone who's relatively competent and kind of fairly established moving into a new environment with new faces new people it's like you know you are the new the new fish in the pond again so it's it's that fear of the unknown it's that fear of oh nobody knows me nobody's going to be interested in what i have to say what is it that i can offer that the other trainer or joe blogs over there can't offer so it's dealing with all of those feelings and trying to convince people that it doesn't need to be flashy or different or new i'm not here to reinvent the wheel i'm here to introduce concepts which have been around for a lot longer than i've existed that have worked throughout history and will most likely work for the majority of the clients who walk through our doors and it's just introducing them to those concepts that maybe they haven't considered before so after a bit more than 10 years personal training what surprised you the most What surprises me the most is how different experiences can be from uh, gym member to gym member or from PT client to PT client. We're all different, right? We're all different in so many different ways, whether it's age, gender, profession, previous experience, previous exercise, preconceived notions of what exercise is or what it should be used for preconceived notions around nutrition or dietary protocols and stuff like that people will have so many different takes on it and every person that you talk to potentially is going to have a different story or a, a different experience and it's learning how to meet that person where they're at and learning what kind of approach does this person need to kind of help them to feel comfortable and confident about embarking on this new uh, 
pursuits, this health and fitness pursuit. And that's, again, that's something it's very difficult to learn from any textbooks or things like that. It's really only something you, you kind of gain through experience. What I tend to do these days a lot, which I didn't when I first started, is instead of trying to project my own voice too much and trying to blab about everything that I know to make myself sound more important than I am, is now actually showing care in the client. And actually, for me, it's about shutting up and letting them speak and letting them tell their story and listening and not listening to respond or to give an answer, but listening to hear their experience and listening to try and identify what it is they need. And I can't um, say it enough. Oh, it's a skill. It's a real, a real skill. And it's quite rare when people, trainer, went to that stage and understand that, uh, I know it's crazy to say it, but it's not about them. It's about the, uh, the client. Thank you. Thank you for the interview. I, I did enjoy it a lot. And, um, and yeah, definitely, Matt, you're not a fraud, so don't even get there. And uh, thank you for your time. And uh, please check out uh, Matt Dale. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you for having me. And everybody out there listening, thank you for your time uh, also. Yeah, so that was Matt Dale interview. And uh, I always like uh, hearing from colleagues about their personal experience, about uh, becoming a personal trainer, because it's not an easy world. And uh, we all have different start. And um, it was very good to hear from Matt Dell Expense. Also, sometime like I remember the when Matt was uh, talking about being, it was worry sometimes to be not met for the job to be a fraud, you know. And um, and I was completely like, no, Matt is a, a very competent personal trainer. He knows his stuff. He know he's very good with the mobility, uh, exercise, and all that. And it's very precise. This is what you want from a personal trainer. And he's connected to his client. He's 100% with them. He focuses on them. And um, I like it. I like it too. You know, it's uh, we all have different way to train someone. However, there is a pinnacle, I would say. And the pinnacle is you should respect and pay fully attention to your client. And Matt definitely does that. So Now, as most people will be aware if they go to the gym, personal trainers uh, can arrive Uh, stay for a while and then disappear. It's a very competitive uh, sector with a lot of uh, turnover. One of the things you spoke about with Matt in the interview was how to have a long and successful career as a personal trainer. So what would you say the headlines from that and your conversation with Matt about making it a success are? How do personal trainers, when they're starting out, make it a career and not a hobby? I think we both agree with Matt that it's not an easy job. It's uh, the competition is harsh and London is huge and you are not the only one training people. And I think uh, what you have to believe, you need some belief about yourself, you know, to start with. And uh, I think we also have this in common, like he believes in what he's doing, the way he's doing. When he trains, he believes that it's the right way. And that's, uh, I would say, if people was listening to this interview, you can't just step in a gym floor and having doubt about what you should do with, for yourself, for people, because people kind of smell that, I think. It is important that you, you share a lot of positivity and, uh, and trust with your, and mindset with your clients. So also, 
it is hard because then that's maybe a taboo subject here. But, you know, when you talk uh, PT career, I saw many good, excellent personal trainer, but just maybe a little bit too, I would say, not, not social person. And sometimes it's hard because a freelance job, you're on your own. You don't have a PR with you or a gym uh, sending you towards your client. And sometimes it can be a bit cruel because I saw people quite good, very good, and not having the success they deserve. Because yeah, there is this little line you have to cross which is going towards people. Meanwhile, you don't want to beg for a session. You have to be visible, audible, charming in a way. And I think it's that's where, that's what makes the job complicated for a lot of people. It's just not as simple as knowing a lot of stuff in fitness. It is how can you reach people and connect people and then you can share. But you have to, you know, if you have nobody around, you can share, you cannot share what you know. But that's, I guess, that's a life uh, lesson, you know, it's just, uh, you have to connect with people. Yeah, it's a people business, isn't it? It's a, You need people skills. If you don't have people skills, you have to be able to develop them and learn them yourself as you go. It's not just a technical uh, service you're offering. That's why I'm, I'm doing the job. I'm 100% a people person. And that's uh, by far the main uh, the aspect I enjoy the most in my business, the people. So there you go. That's uh, 2023, our favorite interviews of the year. We started the year with Julian on a treadmill and we end it with him looking forward to 2024, uh, which is a funny old thing. And um, we'd like to say a big thank you to everybody who took part in the podcast this year. We really appreciate your time, your input and your enthusiasm. And we hope you also have a great 2024. Our very own Alan Teresa has recently published his first novel, Adventure About to Begin. It's a family saga from the 1970s and is funny, dramatic and moving. Check it out on Amazon from all good bookshops in ebook and find out more on alanteresa.com. So every month on the podcast, what we tend to do is answer a couple of questions that come into us. We pick out the questions that listeners send in. We take the two most interesting that we think we can talk about in the most interesting way. Uh, but because it is the Christmas slash New Year special, we're going to do something different this month and return to answering listener questions in January. So what we're going to do is we're going to ask each other a question, uh, which no doubt will be absolutely fascinating for people to listen to. And uh, we're going to provide the best answer we can and funny enough uh, neither of us know what the question is that is going to be asked so I'm going to go first and I've got a question for you Julian so what has been your training goal for the year and how did you meet it he's deep in thought now ladies and gentlemen listening to this uh, and he's clearly considering his answer so what was your training goal Julian how did you meet it well it's uh, thank you for that question because that's uh, a good one actually so this year, I mean, been a year, like I intend to lift more weight, you know, after listening to all these people in powerlifting and all that. I think I also deep down, I'm craving as getting older. My mantra is to push harder. I think it is definitely that is you do feel the need to, I don't want to settle down. I've been doing the job for 15 years and I see so many people 
people crushing a little bit uh, all around and I don't want that. I am I'm quite enthusiastic about the business. I'm always looking for new clients, new challenges. And I think my training needed to match this kind of mentality. So yeah, I decide to keep doing my uh, sport to keep the vision I have of training, which is a mix of sport, intensity, pace, but also I wanted to live more and I realized I could. It's as simple as that. I uh, I put more plates in each, uh, more weight on uh, each machine. And uh, I try to, when I reach a plateau, I try to maintain the plateau. And then every time I could, I was adding one uh, kilo a year there. And I did enjoy that. And uh, I think I'm gonna just keep doing that the next year because that's my body and my mind tell me this is what you need. Keep pushing and keep challenging yourself it's a there is a moral behind all that is when you get older the most important is to remain ambitious with your business with life uh, to enjoy so you know I'm looking forward to going holiday a lot again this year and to push harder because there is only one way to look at it and this way it's definitely forward so for you Alan my question is we've been uh, we know each other for a while now and we start this whole podcast process and uh, it is a great journey on, and uh, it's ongoing of course so the question is you've been training for a while now a few years what have you learned so far from this fitness journey for your own personal training and what have you what have you changed since day one to now in your training well I'm the kind of average guy uh, on the podcast that was always the balance between the professional personal trainer Julian obviously and myself uh, so my perspective was always uh, as a casual gym goer but what I have learned along the way I've learned a lot actually but what I have learned is a couple of things uh, the first one being to focus on technique using the equipment correctly to get the results you want to get from using it is really important and not to just go through the motions or grind through the gears when you're on the gym floor but to actually study technique and apply it effectively number one number two uh, what you were touching upon funnily enough just now which is to have targets and ambitions when you train and not to just do the same thing over and over again but to increase weight to focus on your stamina as well and essentially just to keep moving up the scale across the board if you want to make gains I'm going to use the word gains uh, as we're talking about fitness and the third thing there are four things the third thing is about diet control uh, like most people I like certain kinds of foods which may not be fantastic for me and learning to actually be considerate about what I'm eating when I'm eating how much I'm eating if I want to actually have an impact on my training and my weight and finally the fourth thing I learned was about structure and regularity it's just no not good enough going to the gym now and again and expecting things to happen or treating it casually if you want to have a fitness lifestyle you need structure you need to train regularly you need to if you rest have rest periods if you go on holiday or whatever that's fine but you need to outside of that have a training regime that you can follow in a regular way so all those things together you have to enjoy it as well you have to get something out of it it can't be a burden it can't be something you have to do it has to be something you embrace and that you get something out of it even if it is demanding 
And that is the end of our two questions for this episode of the Two Guys on Fitness podcast, looking back on 2023. So there you go, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed this episode, this special episode of Two Guys on Fitness. Once again, we want to thank everybody who took part in the podcast this year, whether it was uh, by being interviewed or in conversation or training with us. It was great. And we really appreciate everything that everybody did with us this year. And that just leaves us to say thank you also to you, the listeners, for tuning in uh, to listen to us. We hope you've enjoyed it and you found it useful in January 2024. I can't believe I'm talking like this. Actually, it's such a strange experience. But in January, we're going to be back on the gym floor at the Colombo Fitness Center and Gym in Waterloo. And Julian is going to be uh, helping us to structure a workout from the gym floor, which will be useful for the year ahead. Are you looking forward to getting back on the gym floor, Julian, even if we haven't even got over the new year yet? Of course I am. And uh, I never get bored of it because I'm quite confident with how I structure my own workout. So I'm looking forward to share all this mindset with you in 2024. Absolutely. So we say goodbye to you. We say goodbye from Colombo. Have a wonderful new year, whatever you're doing. I hope you have a lovely, lovely time and it's not too cold where you are. And until next time, we say to you, enjoy your workout. Mm-hmm.